Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. This has been a great month at Real Life. We have had uh, baptisms uh, just about every weekend, baptisms at the beach last week, baptisms in the courtyard over here at Valley Center. Uh, Glendora, I'm looking for you guys to get the inflatable baptismal out pretty soon. Uh, and, uh, and we've uh, had a great, a great season of uh, ministry with kids. We had our giant vacation Bible school, and as you know, 107 kids decided to follow Jesus for the first time. And this last week, our kids went to camp and two more kids decided they were going to follow Jesus. So we, we light our faith candle and we celebrate the fact that God is on the move and that hearts are being changed. Uh, and I am thankful for all that. So today we're going to round out our series. Today is the last in our series, Encountering God, in which we're looking at experiences that people have in the Bible of coming face to face with God. People who may have settled for religiosity and ritual, and who now encounter God face to face. And we're asking, what does that mean for our lives? Do we get to encounter God? And the answer is absolutely yes. So let's pray together that we would encounter God one more time today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you call us into a relationship with you, not just to follow rules and and go about uh, uh, obligations and duties, but instead you call us into a relationship where we get to know you and love you and be close to you and listen to your voice and follow you on the adventures that you would lead us on. So place in our hearts a deep faith today that we might hold out hope and anticipation that you're going to speak, that you have things to say to us, that there's more to the life of faith. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, we're going to look at a a few texts in the scriptures today, uh, but I want to talk about uh, looking at the Bible as we look at the Bible. Imagine you got a love letter from somebody who was in love with you. And you sat and you read this beautiful flowing love letter, them pouring out their heart of everything they they loved about you. And then the person sits right across from you. They sit and look at you face to face. And you say to them, hold on, I can't talk to you right now. I'm busy reading your letter. And you read the letter and they wait patiently while you read the letter from top to bottom. You read the whole thing. And then they say, now let's talk. And you say, hold on. I'm going to read the letter again. You read the letter and you pour over the words and you think about every word they chose and you think about what they must have been thinking and feeling when they wrote it. And the person says, okay, let's talk. And you say, hold on, I really can't talk to you. I'm too busy reading your letter. Well, that would be nonsensical. But that's often what we do with God. The scripture points us towards Jesus who is living and active. It points us towards a relationship with the God who is alive. And many people say, well, wait, I I don't have time for that. I'm too busy reading the Bible. What's important is that I I know the printed word better because I can control it. I can analyze it. I can govern over it. The idea that the Holy Spirit would be active and living and speak to me today, that's a bit much. That's a bit fruity. So I'm just going to stick with the printed text. The Bible is there 
to point us towards the God who wants to be in relationship with us. And the target of this entire series is the person who has simply settled for reading the Bible. Now, reading the Bible is a good thing. I do it every day, and I wish everyone else would too. There's a, a passage in the scriptures that describes a group of people who study the scriptures diligently. This is in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early Christians. And in the early Christians, there's a city called Berea. And when they hear stories, they test stories against the scriptures to see if they're true. Here's Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 12. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So Paul, the great preacher, and his friend Silas go to Berea uh, to, uh, to minister. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. They've just come from Thessalonica. They had a bad experience, so Luke captures forever that the Thess Thessalonians were not very good people. Thessalonians were not very good people. The uh, character, uh, Bereans have better character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. They, they went to the scriptures first to see if what Paul was saying was true. Because Paul would often use the Hebrew scriptures and the prophecies of the Hebrew scriptures to say, look, we should have anticipated Jesus. Jesus fulfills the promises of the Hebrew scriptures. And so the Bereans are very faithful with their study of scripture. But listen, the scriptures are a cookbook. And we go to them to make sure the recipe was made correctly. The goal is not to eat the cookbook. The goal is to follow the recipe. To, to witness truth and love and grace and God's power in our world today in front of our eyes. And we go to the cookbook to make sure the recipe is legitimate. To make sure what we're seeing is not a fake. But the goal isn't to live in the cookbook. The goal is to cook. The, the Bereans were a perfect example of where we as Christians ought to start. We look in the scriptures to see, is what I'm hearing true? Does it jibe with what I know to be true? But if you ever get tired of hearing about other people who have amazing faith lives and wonder if an encounter with God is for you, it may be time to do more than just read the cookbook. Uh, I'm all in favor of, of reading the Bible, and I, and I wish everyone else would read it every day, too. But I'm addressing those who, for whom spirituality is nothing but reading. Those for whom the practice of faith is just analysis of a text. And, and they get so immersed in that that either they get bored and give up, or they settle into kind of a, a bored and mundane faith where they wonder, is there anything more? Do I really get to experience God's power in my life today? And the scriptures themselves are a story of people encountering God and experiencing God's power and uh, being lavished in God's love. First person, first hand. The whole purpose of this series is to move from a secondhand faith to a firsthand faith. A faith where we've heard about Jesus to a faith where we experience Jesus. 
Uh, we measure growth in all kinds of ways in our world. In, uh, in terms of our physical growth, we measure marks on the wall. I have a, a, a door frame in my house where there are little marks going all the way up the wall from the time my kids were very little to the time the kids were kind of around my height. I'm not going to admit to taller, but around my height, somewhere in there. And we measure growth in uh, academia because we give students grades and we measure over time. Are your grades getting better? Are you progressing? Are you learning more? You, you go from first grade to second grade to third grade. You advance through the grades. And we measure academic performance. We measure business. Is your business financially stable? Is it growing? Are you expanding locations? Are you increasing your staff? There are even qualitative studies that we can do to see, are the staff happy? Are they satisfied? Are you managing well? There are all kinds of ways we can measure business. But what happens when it comes to character? Growth in character is as or more important than all the rest. But how do you measure that? How do you measure, am I growing in character? Am I growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness? It's so intangible. It's hard to quantify. How do I know if I'm growing in character? When we encourage you to be involved in the ministries of the church, to find a ministry and call it your own, to find a place where you can serve, everybody ought to be, everybody ought to be in a small group and everybody ought to be in a ministry, a place where you serve. When we call you to be involved in the ministries of the church, it's not just because we have work that needs to be done. It's not just because we need somebody to give out groceries to people at our pantry. We need somebody to, to paint classrooms at the preschool. It's not just that work needs to be done. It's that in service, our hearts grow. Our hearts grow in Christ-likeness, and our hearts grow in love. But how on earth do you measure that? It's hard to measure the development of character, and how on earth do you measure spirituality? How do you measure spiritual growth? The, the, the purpose of life is to love God and other people, and we grow in those efforts as we live our lives. How on earth do you measure, am I loving God more? You know, in... In business, you measure dollars and people and customers and things like that. I've seen pastors that become addicted to tangible measurements because their careers are based in a profession where the product is intangible. And so they're always talking about how many people go to the church and how many dollars does the church have because it's the only tangible things they can get their hands on. Every pastor I've ever known has some kind of hobby where they produce something physical and tangible because so much of their work is intangible. Most of the pastors I know do things like woodworking because at the end of the day, they can say, look, I made that. I have something that I produced with my hands. And they're happy because they have a hobby where they, they have a tangible result. For me, I roast coffee. At the end of the day, I can say, look, I've got fresh coffee for the morning. And that hobby does make me happy, very happy. But it's, it's largely out of a, a sense of wanting something tangible at the end of the day that pastors pick up these avocations. We pick up these hobbies because we want something we can produce. Because how on earth do you measure, did I grow spiritually? Spiritual growth is the process of becoming increasingly aware of the one who walks beside you. Becoming increasingly aware that you are constantly in the presence of Jesus. Of becoming increasingly clear about how he loves you and increasingly obedient to his call on your life. But how do you measure that? Well, 
When it comes to encountering God, we have the, the same problem. It, it's, a, it's an intangible goal. It's something you, you can't really measure. And so, so Paul would actually pray that his congregations would grow in faith. And you can listen to his prayer to see how he envisioned it. In Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 15, he says this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Remember, that's the purpose of life. Love God and love other people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, so you're already a Christian. Here's what Paul wants for you, that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the Greek word here for revelation is apocalypsis, which has to do with visions, which has to do with the Holy Spirit speaking in a tangible way to people. Uh, wisdom, kind of a, a, a general sort of a sense for uh, what is profoundly right about decision-making, and revelation, which is direct Knowledge given by the Holy Spirit. It means messages, not ideas. Uh, I, I pray that uh, the Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the process of growth. That we would know him better. There's no grade card that comes with it. There's no process of grades that we go through. But that's the goal, that we may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I pray that your heart might be enlightened, that you might know hope, that you might know the riches of your inheritance and that you might know God's power. I pray that you would grow in knowledge of these things. The Christian life is not about getting locked into doctrines that are correct so you can say, I've achieved what I'm supposed to know and now I'm done and I'll wait to get to heaven. The goal of the Christian life is to grow in hope, in the awareness of the inheritance of the blessings that we receive from Jesus and in a knowledge of his power. The, the goal of the Christian life is that we would continually encounter him and grow more. Uh, I'm about to send a daughter to college. And my hope is not that in four years she'll come home and say, I haven't changed my mind about any, uh, anything. I believe exactly the same things I believed in high school. I think exactly the same things I thought back then. My hope is that in four years she comes home and says, I have held on to what was essential. And I have learned so much more. The Christian life is not an act of settling down into hardened facts. It's a life of, of constant change and growth because Jesus will never change. And we need to become more like Jesus, which means we're the ones who are changing. He stays the same. We're in the pro constant process of growth towards him. We start with the cookbook that tells us what it's supposed to look like. And then we grow after him. Uh, and and there's, there, there's just one message I, I want us to walk away from this series with. At, at the end of this series, I'm trying to be as clear as possible. Don't settle for knowing facts about God. Chase God. Chase after Jesus. Grow in Jesus. Learn to hope more.
Learn more of your inheritance in him. Learn more of God's power in your, in your life. Grow more. And I, I wish we had a tangible measurement system because then we could all say, here's where we, where we are. Here's how far I've grown. But there is a, a deeper intimacy with Jesus. And with it comes a more profound awareness of how much he loves you. There's a deeper intimacy with Jesus. And with it, comes the confidence that he is going to speak to you, that you're going to encounter him in your daily life. There's a deeper intimacy with Jesus. And with it comes the confidence that you're going to pray for the sick and they're going to be healed. If you've settled for analysis of the cookbook, there's more. I wish there was a, a tangible system of uh, measurements and uh, we ought to make one up. We, we ought to say, well, first you're a Berean. You learn the scriptures well, you know the scriptures well, you check everything against the scriptures. First you're a, Ber a Berean. And then you move to being like the woman at the well whom we looked at at the beginning of the series. She encountered Jesus face to face and Jesus told her everything that he knew about her, that he supernaturally knew about her. So we move from studying the scriptures to realizing that Jesus knows us personally. He's not just up in the sky He's up close and personal. He knows us. And that's an important step of faith where we grow from studying the God who's written down to the God who's actually in relationship with us. And then maybe we, we take a step further and we become like the apostles in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit would tell them, you need to go to this city, you need to talk to this person, you need to tell them this. We actually enter into this anticipation that the Holy Spirit's going to send us on daily missions. And then maybe we become like the Apostle Paul to whom Jesus appeared and revealed himself. Maybe we anticipate the encounter with Jesus himself. And maybe at the, the pinnacle of it all, we're like Moses. We pray like Moses. Moses prayed for an encounter with God. Moses knew God better than anyone else on the earth. And Moses prayed for more. Exodus thirty-three twelve says this. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and I know you, found, you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This is the promise. When we take God seriously, we pray, don't just send me out to obey, you go with me. And God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And what a beautiful promise in a world of anxiety, that when we go out in the world, the sign that God's promise with us is not that we have courage. It's not that we have faith. It's that we have rest, right? Jesus promised the same thing. Take my yoke on you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the, all the people on the face of the earth? Moses is still kind of doubting. He's not confident that this is going to happen. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. 
because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Moses has already seen more of God than anyone else on the earth. He has drawn closer to God than any living human being. And Moses' prayer is, show me more. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Uh, isn't this interesting that before the cross of Jesus, right, to see God face to face would cause you to die. And after the cross of Jesus, seeing the face of God causes you to live. It's encountering Jesus face to face. God has translated himself into humanity so that we can see him. And it's in seeing God face to face that we now have life. The ultimate peak, the ultimate pinnacle of spiritual growth is living in intimacy with God and saying, show me more. The, the Christian life isn't about sitting still, about saying, I've gotten the right facts in my head. I studied the Bible enough. I have enough details in my head. I could win the Bible Jeopardy game. The ultimate goal is to be in constant pursuit of Jesus and still pray, show me more. At the end of the day, this is how we ought to go about the practice of faith. If you're new to the faith, if you're new to church, study the cookbook. Read the Bible. Dive into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you've read those, read Romans. Read Exodus. Learn the Scriptures well. That's the voice of God, and you want to be able to recognize the voice of God. Then join a small group. That's the, that's the uh, cooking school. Join a, with a bunch of other uh, amateur cooks who are learning to study the cookbook together. Uh, get involved in ministry, which is where we put our faith into practice. That's the kitchen where we go in and work. Immerse yourself in worship, which is sitting at the feet of the master chef, right? But in the end, remember, our goal is to pursue Jesus and ask for more. Not just to study the cookbook, but to live to know him more deeply. My target of this series, and I've tried to be as clear as possible, the one thing I want you to walk away with is if you have settled for a faith that is just analysis of the biblical text, there's more. You get to experience, to encounter God in this life. The Holy Spirit is about the business of speaking to us and calling us into deeper intimacy with Jesus. I'll give you an example of how it happened to a pastor, actually. Uh, there was a pastor named uh, Nicky Gumbel. And uh, many years ago, he was a pastor in England at a church called Holy Trinity Brompton. And uh, his church uh, began to experience God's work in some surprising ways. He said, at one point, a woman came to him and she said, uh, I've had constant back pain for many years. I need you to, to pray for my back. And he thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm a vicar. I'm a pastor. 
so I might as well do this. But he didn't expect anything to happen. And he prayed that her back would be healed. And after that, he avoided her. Uh, he didn't want to run into her and hear that she was still in pain. So when he'd see her coming down one aisle, he'd run out the other one. But eventually one day she cornered him. And she said, I've been wanting to tell you about uh, my back pain. And he says, oh, oh yes, uh, how is it? And she said, it was completely healed the moment you prayed for me. And he said, huh. And then he invited somebody from America, a pastor named John Wimber, who you may have heard me talk about before. Uh, the pastor who started the, the vineyard churches. There are vineyard churches around us. There's one in San Dimas. There's one in Glendora. There are vineyard churches around. He started that whole movement uh, a few decades ago. John Wimber went to Holy Trinity Brompton to give a guest lecture. And he talked about healing. And at one point in his lectures to the congregation, he said, we're going to take a little coffee break. And after the coffee break, we're going to come back and we're going to practice healing. Uh, the coffee break was especially long, uh, Nikki Gumbel says. And when they came back, the people who previously had been sitting in the front rows were now sitting in the back rows. Uh, he said, John Wimber stood up and he very specifically said, there's someone here who hurt their back when they were 14 years old chopping wood. And you're here today and your back hurts. I want to pray for you. And Nikki Gumbel thought, well, that's ridiculous. Somebody in the back of the room stood up and walked forward. He had hurt his back when he was 14 years old chopping wood. And Wimber prayed for him. And uh, Nikki Gumbel, as he tells the story, says, well, he got lucky with one. But he kept doing this. He would name very specific situations and specific illnesses or pains and people would come forward to be healed. And then uh, Gumbel says at one point, John Wimber said, there are 10 people in this room right now who have athlete's foot and I want to pray that you would be healed. And Gumbel says, nine people stood up. Wimber said, now there are 10. I know there's another one here. Well, it turned out that the 10th one was Nicky Gumbel. And he just didn't really want to be put on the spot. But his wife sat there elbowing him. This is you. You have athlete's foot. So finally he stood up. 10 people stood up. And one of the members of John Wimber's prayer team went up to pray for Nicky Gumbel. And he said, would you like me to pray for your athlete's foot? And Nicky Gumbel said, no, it's quite all right. Kind of like having a place to scratch. Nope, that's fine. And so he says, the man asked him, well, is there anything that you would like for me to pray for you? And Nikki Gumbel said, I, I told this young man, yes, I, I'd like you to pray that I would have more of God's power. And he said, the man said, Jesus, bring more power. At that point, Nikki Gumbel says, I felt something that was like 10,000 volts of electricity shooting through my body. And I fell down on the ground. And the young man who, Gumbel says, he, he was kind of new. He didn't have a very big vocabulary. He simply stood there saying, more power, Lord, more power. And he said, at one point, the, the experience became so intense that I started praying against him. And I started saying, no more power, Lord. That's enough. No more power. But the guy praying for me wasn't listening. And so he kept saying, more power, Lord. More power. And at one point, it became a shouting match of me shouting for it to stop and him shouting for it to become more. Gumbel says that point in which he experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in a radical and new and surprising way pivoted the history of his ministry. Nikki Gumbel retired from ministry one week ago. 
He just retired from what has now become the largest church in all of London, Holy Trinity Brompton. And Gumbel is now famous worldwide because he created a curriculum called Alpha, a video curriculum that introduces people to the basic message of the gospel. The story that's in the cookbook. The story of the God who walked the earth and died for us on the cross and then promised, there's one who's coming after me. Wait for that one. The Holy Spirit. And so, at the end of this series, if you've been someone who's sat hearing the story of Jesus, maybe reading the Bible a bit, and you feel like maybe you believe, but it's, it's been handed to you. You've, you've gotten it by reading a text or hearing the stories. And you're asking, what else, what else is there? In all these stories of people encountering God in the scriptures, is that, is that something for me? Well, the promise of the scriptures, the promise that Jesus left us with is if, if all you're doing is reading the cookbook, just ask for more. There's more coming. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit and fill our hearts. Teach us to live for you and to long for you. For all those who are waiting for a deeper experience of your love and your hope and your power and our inheritance. Come Holy Spirit and fill those hearts. Jesus, as we walk about our lives today and this week, speak into our ears and teach us to listen. Call us where you would have us go and motivate us to obey. Jesus, teach us to live for the things that matter, to not measure the things that the world has to offer us, but instead to live to grow deeper in intimacy with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.